0: That is good. It was early in the service. I got a lot more to work towards there. All right, so I've been asked to speak tonight. And tonight being, are we really, is this the first night of Romans? Yeah, huh, wow, it's big time. I don't know if that means they wanted me first or I'm like the opening act for Anthony later, so that's all right. Um. Okay, one thing I've been noticing here, I, I am uh, 38 years old. Uh, and I, I, I know that doesn't sound that old to some people in this room, but I, I've got like back problems and children and everything. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a legit adult now, which is nothing I like to, you know, I, I don't really broadcast that a lot, but I'm working to a point here, so it's okay. Um, really? Wow. Um, we, uh. Well, one thing I notice is that life can be kind of routine sometimes. And, and we tend to get into these ruts. And, and a lot of times, we, we become our job. Does that make sense? We, we become what we do. And, and whenever you meet someone new, you, you kind of bump into them like, hi, you know, my name's Brad, whatever. Yada, yada. And the question inevitably comes up pretty early, what do you do? You know, it's just kind of who you are is kind of what you do in this day and age uh, oftentimes and And every day kind of becomes the same you know you you get up every morning to the alarm clock's warning, you take the eight fifteen into the city, whistle up above people pushing people shoving, and the girls trying to look pretty. That's right. I was told the theme was taking care of business all right that's what I heard um so you know we we do that we get into these habits and we get into these ruts and and we just kind of mindlessly go into our jobs and into our 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 jobs just kind of become. Our life, and there's so much more to this life that God has given us than the jobs that we do. Now, I am a youth pastor, an associate pastor, when it sounds better. Uh, I am a, I am the, I'm a guy who who works with teenagers in a church, um, for my life. I mean, this this is the profession that I have gone into, and that that should mean that 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 you know it. How do I explain this? There's God and there's ministry, and and ministry is my job, right? It's what I do for a living. But God is different than that, and I'll explain what that means as I get going here. All right. So, so life is so much more than just a job. Life is so much more than just an occupation. And I know, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different people in here. Some people are retired. Some people are working hard every day. Some people got kids in the house, some people have kids that are long past the house. Uh but you know this this is kind of a just kind of a all all encompassing thing to just say that that uh the the people in our life are what really matter. More than what we do, more than the stuff that we own, more than, you know, anything else that comes through our life, it's those people that we come in contact with that really matter the most to us. Now I'm going to take a pause here and just pray for myself. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this night, God, and we thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word uh, what you need us to hear tonight, God. And I just pray that the words that come out of my mouth tonight, Lord, would be your words and not my ego, Lord, that, that this will be what you need us to hear this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so taking care of business. Um, for, for me, business of the church, you know, for you guys, whatever it is that your business is, uh, but so much, so much, so much more than that. All right. We're going to hear a little bit here from Paul, um, a couple of Paul's tips. Actually, Paul didn't really give tips. He gave commands, but, uh, Paul's tips on how to take care of business of, of the church. All right. And we find this in Titus chapter one, uh, verses six through nine, and I'll read it out here so you know. Have to, but you can. Titus chapter 1, 6 through 9. All right. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus chapter 1. Alright. Good advice. Paul was a smart guy. Probably why he has so many books in the Bible. They they thought he got some pretty good words of wisdom there. Okay, so we're learning from Paul here how to be a good elder in the church, how to be a good leader in the church. Um, if you are a, a person who, who's doing some sort of ministry, uh, whether that is teenagers or elderly or motorcycles or prison or whatever your ministry is, there, there are some important tips here on how to do it effectively and how to be good at it, all right? Now, you, you notice that uh, one of the very first things he says, elder must be blameless, and then he says immediately, faithful to one wife, faithful to his wife, all right? And of course, our day and age, and our, at least in the Nazarene church, not every church, but, uh, the elders are sometimes women too. So, faithful to your spouse, we'll say, okay? So, faithful to your spouse, and that's one of the very first things Paul says. And Paul, <laughs> Paul makes it a, a, a point several times throughout his letters to mention that he's not married. Uh, he, he mentions that a lot, actually, but he, he's, He he says he doesn't want to be married. He's glad that he can't be married because he has time to focus on his ministry. And, you know, some of you people are in that boat, too. You're not married, and that's fine. Paul wasn't married. He was very proud of that. And, in fact, he he even went so far as to say, I wish that everyone was like me. All right? And so, you know, he he had time to spend on ministry. And we're going to get into that just a little bit. Now, um, the business of the church that Paul is talking about here, I, I feel what he's saying here, since he starts out with faithful to his wife, I, I see that the business of the church starts right in your own house. The business of the church starts in your home. And I don't care if you are a pastor or uh, every other member of the congregation, it starts in your home. It does not matter what your profession is. Your business of the church starts in your house. And the very first thing Paul says here, elder must be blamed, is the next thing he says, faithful to a wife, and the next thing he says, a man whose children believe. Very first things he's talking about there is the household. He he's not talking about everyone else in town, he is talking about your personal household. Your wife, your children. This is how you are going to be an effective uh minister of any kind is that your household, your wife and your children need to be believers. They need to be on that on the same path with you. They need to be following that same God just with you. And it's going to start right in your own house. Uh I I did a, a a marriage seminar once uh by a man called Jim Burns. Uh I just helped lead it uh and and he has a, a list of priorities that he has in his own house. He he is a a professional minister and he goes from place to place preaching and teaching and and his His uh book was called Creating an Intimate Marriage, and it was all about how to get closer to your spouse, how to how to work that bond and to really get to know your spouse better, even after you know, who knows how many years, to just continually grow closer and closer. And he said that the the priorities in his life, the way that he has listed them is number one, God. All right, first and foremost, makes sense. Number two, marriage. The the connection that he has to his wife. And number three, children. And then number four, vocation. His job. Vocation and other, he says. All right, his job. All right, this is a professional minister, and he separates vocation from God. These are two different things. And it's it's important to note that. All right, so the first one he's got on there is God. Now, this, of course, seems obvious. I I would hope uh, in in a room full of uh, believers here that we understand why God should be first. God is the priority. If your if your life with God is not on track, everything else is going to fall right apart. If if you're not in line with what God has for you, all the rest of this stuff is just gonna go off off track. That's what's gonna happen. It's just gonna fall apart. You know, God is the creator. He is the creator of everything that you see out there, and He is also the creator of the people in this room. He's the creator of relationships. He is the creator of emotions. He is the creator of everything that we experience. And knowing that, knowing that he is the guy that starts everything, it makes sense that you want to start your your ministry. It makes sense that you want to start your family with God. He is the one that's going to make everything else click, make everything else work together if you start out with God. All right. Now, again, this is a priority of, of Paul. The elder must be blameless. You know, he, he starts out, and, and Paul, he he lists a bunch of stuff in there that we're not going to hit on uh, completely tonight. But, you know, he gives a list of not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not, 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 not. Rather, he must be hospitable, love what's good. And carries on. All right. Again, Paul mentions in here he's not not a single man, not shy about saying it. God is his priority. And and to to Paul, women are distractions. I understand that. I get that. Um, I have been a professional male for 38 years, and I get that. I, I understand how that can be distracting. Now, he also says that if you are to get married, if you are going to, to join with a spouse – that you are to treat, he's, of course, addressing men, you are to treat that woman like Jesus treats his church. And um, to do so, to treat a spouse with that kind of love and affection, takes some time, and it takes some energy, and it takes some effort, and it doesn't just happen. Now, I I have been uh, married for 16 years. Some people in this room have me beat by a long shot, and that's great. And y'all can tell me, and I can tell you, that marriage doesn't just happen. It does not just, hey, we got married and everything else is honky dory and they live happily ever after. That's not true. It's not always happy ever after. Sometimes there's an occasional argument, an occasional disagreement. Not with my family, of course, but you know, with other people. You know, I, I've heard that this happens. You know, it, of course, it happens to everybody. You cannot have be in that close of connection, that close to someone for that long of a time without there being some sort of argument. You know, it's one of the first things uh, that I tell my teenagers when we go on our LA trip every every spring break is that you guys are going to be crammed in a van for 15 hours nonstop. There will be some conflicts. You cannot be in those close quarters with someone without some troubles happening. It's just going to happen. And 16 years of marriage, some troubles are going to come up every once in a while. But it goes on, and it says that you are to put the time into it. You're You're supposed to put the work into it. Love your spouse like Jesus loves the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He died for that church. He died for that church. That's some serious love right there. That is a serious commitment to his church his His love, so the next thing, faithful to his wife uh the Jim Burns book says second priority is marriage, so marriage is the very first family that you get to pick you know when when you decide to get married to a spouse, you get to pick that person when you're born, you don't got a choice whether you like or hate your parents, you're stuck with those parents. They are your parents. But man, when you, when you pick a spouse, you get to pick that person. You get to choose to live out the rest of your life as family with that person. That's, that's kind of a cool thing. That's the first family that you get to choose. So of course, the words of Indiana Jones, choose wisely. Alright, make that choice with some uh some input here from, from God. All right. Don't just go out and say, Hey, she's pretty, I'll take her. Hey, he's handsome, I want that one. There's so much more to it than just looks. Learn who people are. Learn what they feel about God. Learn how they act to their parents, learn how they act to their friends, learn how they act to their siblings. Know who these people are before you get into that lifetime marriage with them, right? Alright, uh in Matthew we read, haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. One flesh. You become one with this person. There's still two minds believe me, you are two minds, all right? But you are one unit, and you're working together for, for the greater cause of God's kingdom, of growing God's kingdom. You've already set your priority number one is God. Hopefully, your spouse has set their priority number one is God. And I have seen it happen time after time that when one of you has the priority of God and the other one does not have their priority of God, serious conflicts happen they they call that in the bible being unequally yoked but but it's just serious consequences it's so much trouble if if you are still in the market of choosing a spouse choose one whose priority is god number 1 even above their husband make that priority god we uh I don't know. I, I, I get into conflicts all the time with my wife. We, we, we come from very, very different backgrounds. I come from a Christian background. I've been you know, going to church since I was this tall. She's been going to church since college. You know I, I, uh, I, I came from a fairly well-off family. She came from a very poor family. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things in our lives that we do very, very differently, and a lot of things in our lives that we look at each other and we're going, "Why would you do that? That makes no sense to me. That's why you're so foreign right now. I don't get that what you're doing." Um, and so we we tend to disagree sometimes on completely ridiculous stuff, and sometimes we disagree on really, really big stuff. But for the most part, we we do get along and we do get agree on on pretty much everything eventually, right? And so as long as we are making our priority God's Word. Now, are there different ways to interpret God's Word? Of course. Are there different understandings of God's Word? Of course. And so even then, sometimes, we run into some conflicts. But we are always making our priority to live a godly life. Uh, it goes on, it says, well, let me let me back up. I skipped a note there. Uh, for For me and my wife, when those conflicts do come up, we, we have decided in our marriage from, from the get-go that divorce is not an option for us. It just is not an option. So no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad one of us screws up, it's not a choice to divorce each other. And so therefore, we actually have to solve the problem. We, we, we actually have to work things out, figure things out. Oh, my goodness. Horrible. But of course, you know that that's of course what God wants for a relationship. He wants you to work things out when the conflicts happen. Because conflicts are inevitable. You cannot avoid conflict. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and nothing bad will ever happen to you again. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, get married to your wife and you guys are gonna live a hunky dory. Happily ever after. No bad stuff will ever happen to you. You'll never run out of money. You'll always have a place to live. You'll never have any tragedy in your life. Things are going to be great. It doesn't say that anywhere. But it does tell you that when those bad things happen, you have a rock to lean on. That's why God has to be your number one priority. Because those bad things are inevitable. Uh, it, we, we talked a little bit about how Christ loves the church. That's from Ephesians. It says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It doesn't say there that Christ said, wow, my church is kind of lost. I'm giving up on that one. I'm out of here. No, he gave himself up so that that church could be redeemed and that church could be saved and that church could, could go out there and make more churches. Make more and more churches. Make little bit of baby churches that then grow into bigger churches. All right, and I hope you see where I'm going with this now. Okay, um, but Christ's sacrifice for His church is a model for marriages. It's a model for that, that spousal relationship. It's a model for how to grow close with another person uh, in, in your life. All right, so people go out, they they get married, and typically they they uh, have children children is the next thing that Paul talked about way up there in in uh, Titus. He said a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, I love my kids, but I believe they are open to the charge of being wild. They're pretty obedient, but they're they're a little bit wild too. Um, but not in a negative way. They're they're wild cuz they're kids and they get hyped up on sugar and they jump around a lot. Uh so I'm okay with that wild. Um but I, I love my kids and and we are trying in our uh in our relationship, me and my wife, we try to model behavior that we want to see in our children. And that is sometimes difficult because kids are really observant. And they're observant when you don't realize they're being observant. And you're, you know, they're observant when you don't want them to be observant, but they are really stinking observant. They, uh, they pick up on everything. Uh, and, you know, mo- that's why we, we always, again, I, I'm, you, you got to keep turning back to God here. You got to keep turning back to your Word. You got to live that, that what's the very first thing? An elder must be blameless. You got to live that blameless life because, I tell you, your kids are watching you when you don't know they're watching you um it's not always just your your physical children you have spiritual children as well you have people within your church bodies that are younger people that are watching you and they're seeing you and they they see how you act and they see how you behave and they 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 know you and not only that we live in a facebook world so they know more than you want them to know about you they uh they're they're watching and you know this is a just an obscure one but i i like to put peanut butter on my hamburgers All right? Emily is shaking her head back there. Um, Sounds strange, okay? I went to a restaurant. They had it on the menu. They said, if you don't like it, you can send it back, and it'll be free. I'm like, great, what do I got to lose? I tried it. I loved it. I go home. I'm making my own peanut butter burgers now. Caitlin, my daughter, she's 10 years old, she looks at that and she goes, I'll try it. Now every time she has a hamburger, peanut butter goes right on that thing. Why are people shaking their head? (laughs) It's good, all right? They need to put that stuff right there, ketchup, mustard, peanut butter, and it's going to go right on the table. But see, my my children, they see that. Now, my son, oh, my goodness. Okay, I talked to you a little bit ago about how we disagree between the spouses, right? My wife sometimes gets annoyed at me. I don't understand where it comes from. But my wife sometimes gets annoyed at me. I know. I'm shocked. But she tells me it's because... She can't take me seriously, and when I am being serious, she doesn't know it. You know, I I tell people that God gave me the spiritual gift of sarcasm, uh, and and I use it a lot. Um, and so I understand what she's talking about, but I understand it even more now that I have a son who is 12 years old and has spent 12 years watching me, and 12 years picking up my habits. And so when I try to get some information out of Luke, I get some sort of snarky, sarcastic comment right back in my face. (laughs) And I can't do anything about it because I know it comes from me. It's horrible. And my wife just looks at me and goes, you see? You see what I have to put up with? And so, you know, your kids are watching you. And you are modeling behavior for them, whether you're doing it intentionally or accidentally. You are modeling behavior for the People coming up behind you. You know, I I love my son, but he drives me crazy. You know, I and he drives me crazy because he is me 26 years ago, and so it's you know everything everything about that kid is me 26 years ago except for like his hair color. All right, it's that is little Brad, and you know to a certain extent he should be because I'm the one bringing him up, and. and and whereas, you know, I had my flaws as a child, I also know that I had a very good childhood, and if that kid grows up half as good as I did, then he's he's in for some good stuff. And so I'm very confident in how he's gonna grow up. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old they will not turn from it. Proverbs twenty two, six. You've all heard that probably. That is a hard one. Uh I, I think that it doesn't go far enough. Because it takes more than just starting a kid off. You really have to continue that. I think when it says start a kid off in the way he should go, it means for the first 50 years of his life. You know, really, really, really let them know what the priorities are in your life. God, your spouse, your children, then your job. I know I started out talking about a job, and we'll get there in a minute. But you need to let those kids know. You need to let the people in your life that are important to you, you need to let them know that they are a priority above other stuff, other junk that comes up in your life. Your children, they, they pick up on stuff. They are not stupid. They, they do become you. Uh, there, there are studies you know, the you know, parents who drink have kids that drink. Parents who smoke have kids that smoke. Um, parents that are rude and disrespectful have kids that are rude and disrespectful. Parents that play sports have kids who play sports. Parents like me that sit around playing video games have kids that sit around playing video games. All right? It's it's just generational. They they pick up on everything. Everything. They uh they do need guidance. They do need you to be a model. They need that. They're kids. They're learning. And no matter what age they are at, they're going to always look to you as a model, as a role model. They're going to look to you guys. And, you know, no no matter how much parents love to uh, send their kids to youth group on Wednesday night and say, wow, my kid's getting a great church upbringing. If those parents aren't going, everything I tell them on Wednesday night just goes flying right out the window. I have seen in my you know, 15 years of doing this ministry about two kids whose parents don't go to church that have made God important in their life. And that's dozens and dozens of teenagers come through my ministry. It, it's really, really difficult to do to, – to, to be expected to do all the work when it comes to teaching kids about God, because if it's not being modeled in the home, it's not going to mean anything to these kids. Don't laugh at me. All right. I'm, I'm kidding. It's fine. Um. Because it's it's just such a hard thing. You know, parents think that it is my job to teach their kids about God. It's not. It's my job to encourage their kids. It's my job to pray for their kids. It's my job to support their kids. And it is my job to inform their kids about God. But it's their job, as a parent, to teach their kids about God. To teach their kids what God means to them. How important God is in their life. That is your guys' job, to share that with your kids. And again, I'm not talking about only 10- and 12-year-old kids, 4-year-old kids, 5-year-old kids. I'm talking about 20-year-old kids, 30-year-old kids, 40-year-old kids. Make it a priority to share with your children, whatever age they are, how important God is to you. Model it in your life. My parents had me at church anytime those doors were open. Doors were open, I was at church. I have my kids at church all the time. I say that now with one kid sitting at home by herself playing video games. but um she's also like I said, a little bit wild. Um, but we have we you know my my wife and I go on vacation with our kids sometimes we will we'll go to church on vacation. It's just a priority to us. It's important that these kids know that God is as much a part of our life as eating dinner every night, you know. It's just such an important, important thing. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. See, kids even get their own commandment. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Bring them up. Continue bringing them up. I notice in there it doesn't say children do not exasperate your fathers. So I guess Luke's off the hook. But uh, fathers do not exasperate your children. Love your children. Teach your children. Help your children to grow. Help your children to understand God. Help your children to see the priority that God is in your life. Help them to teach that to their children. Help that to be a continuing thing that they take with them every day of their life. And again, some of you are past the little kids in the house stage. But, again, you all have spiritual kids that are watching you. Teach these kids. Help them to understand. My printer wasn't working really well, so some of these are like half lines. Um, All right, so number four on there was vocation. And now we'll get talking about, you know, taking the train to the city. All right? Because we do that all the time out here in eastern Oregon. We, uh, we've we got a subway, but it serves sandwiches. Um, <laughs> Marla, where's my rim shot, please? All right. All right, vocation. It does not tell you to stop working. Vocation is on the list. It's number four on the list. At no point should you say, oh, well, I'm going to quit my job because my family is more important. That doesn't make any sense, of course. Uh, vocation, um, providing. For your family, providing for your children and your spouse is part of your job as a parent. All right? Providing for your family is what gives you the support so you can do this other stuff. So you have the the luxury of taking time for your family. So you have that time, uh, the, the ability to spend with your family. All right? Now that, that sometimes gets a little mixed up in some people's brains. And they think, I gotta keep working, I gotta stay at work, I gotta work overtime, I gotta work all these hours, and I gotta make sure that I'm providing for my family. And that's how they keep justifying it. I gotta keep going to work, keep going to work, keep going to work, because I gotta provide for my family. I gotta make sure my family's taken care of. And by the time they turn around and realize they've made enough money to support their family, their family's gone. Just out of the house. They've missed it all. And, I really hope that I, I don't do that with my kids, and obviously I'm not because, like I said, my kid is growing up to be a little me. So obviously maybe I'm spending too much time with him. But uh, he he, my kids love our our kids. My, my kids love me and their mother. They love us. They love being around us, and they love being at the church. And, yeah, they're a little wild, and they're a little crazy, and they'll grow out of it, I don't know, probably past 38 because I haven't yet. You do need to do your best. Bible The you know, Bible even goes into you know, slaves obey your masters, and I'm not comparing your job to slavery. You may, but I'm not comparing your job to slavery. But you are supposed to obey the people you work for, and you are supposed to do your very best to work as if you're working for the Lord. All right, You are supposed to do your best effort. But when you get home at night, be at home. Be done. My wife is a writer and she works out of the house and she writes books sitting on her computer in the back room and it's really hard for her to separate work from home because she works at home. And so a lot of times I'm just like, I'm, I'm making dinner. I'm like, hey, you coming? Yeah, one more paragraph, you know. So once you are home, you need to be home. And once you've, you've, you're done with work, leave work at work. And in, in ministry, that can be a hard thing to do. When you live next door to the church, that can be a hard thing to do. You know that, it, It's tricky. Do you have the key? Yeah, can I, can I get in? You know it, it's a tricky thing. And for the most part, it's easy enough to run, run do that and run help out. And I like to do that kind of stuff, you know, the quick and easy stuff. I, I can go let someone in. It's no problem. Uh, I, I like to do it because it models for my kid how to be part of a loving church family. You know, um, I I will share just a little bit. Um, I, for, when I first got to John Day, six years ago now, I fairly soon after joined the Young Life ministry. Now, if you don't know what Young Life is, it's kind of this non-denominational group aimed at teenagers. They have a a club each week, and they have summer camps. Wonderful program. Terrific program. Kids get saved like crazy at that program. They have they have uh, like 500 kids go to their summer camps, and they do about four camps in a row. So you know that's 2,000 kids going to summer camp each summer, getting saved, coming back having life changing experiences. It's a terrific ministry. I really do like it. I worked with Young Life here in John Day for quite a while, several years, and. At, at first, it was, hey, we'd like you to come do clubs with us. It was a Thursday night each week. Great, I can do that. Then it was, uh, we need you to come to a planning meeting. I'm like, once a month or once every couple months. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then they tacked on, we need you to come to camp in the summer. Now, I do a lot of church camps, too. And so, like, this year, I'm going to our Nazarene camp four times this summer. All right? And they're like, we want you to come to Young Life Camp. I'm like, okay, I'll do that a couple times. Um uh, And we we want you to come to a prayer meeting every Wednesday morning at at 7 a.m. And, you know, that was a really hard one for me because all of these things are great things. I I see the importance in all these things. But how do you say to someone, I don't want to go to your prayer meeting? How do you say that? I mean, it's hard. And it wasn't anything to do with the prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is a great thing, and it's a great idea to pray for these kids. But so much got tacked on to my schedule that between that ministry and this ministry and the family I'm supposed to be encouraging and supporting, I wasn't home that often. And it got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to to prioritize my family because I was always leaving, and I was always doing other stuff. And it was great stuff, important stuff. Changing lives of teenagers. That is what my career path is. But I had to set some boundaries. And I had to say, I can't do this and this and this and this. All right? And basically they gave me, they gave everyone, uh, all the volunteers, a list of uh, check this, that you will commit to this for young life. And I could only check about half of them. And I showed that to them, and I'm like, probably not the best person to be doing this because i got to have some boundaries. And I am not working with Young Life now. I still support them. I still encourage them. I still see kids there, and when their electronics break down, I go fix it for them and that kind of stuff. But I am not a full-time Young Life worker anymore. The boundaries had to be set. Even for the really good stuff, you got to set some boundaries. That is ministry. That is not God. That is ministry. That is work. That is job. God is different. I still pray for kids in Young Life. I still encourage them on Facebook. I still support them and say they, you know, go to the basketball games and baseball games and cheer for them. And I I support them, but your job, even in ministry, is not God. Your job is your job. And I love my job, and I totally love my job, and I would do my job for free don't get any ideas but I really really enjoy what I do but there have to be boundaries in everything that you do has to be those boundaries so you need to set your own limits you need to make God your number one your spouse, your number two. Your kids, your are number three. I don't care how old they are. And then your job. And you need to set those boundaries in your own life. And you need to decide, this is how much I can do. And when I am done working for the day, when I am done working for the week, I am done working. I am going to spend that time making sure that my kids are okay. I'm going to spend that time encouraging my wife and, and building up that relationship with her. I'm going to spend that time on people. Uh, I don't know. I like to watch the movies. I, I, one of my favorite Christmas movies is actually the movie *Scrooged*, which is a a retelling of *Christmas Carol*, but it's like modern with Bill Murray. And of course, Jacob Marley comes in, and he's he's telling him, you know, all these horrific things he did when he was alive. And and the Scrooge character says, "Oh, but you were amazing. You 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 knew this business inside and out." And he Jacob Marley grabs him. The Jacob Marley character grabs him and he says, "Mankind should have been my business." And, you know, there's versions of that in all the Christmas Carol movies that you've ever seen. Um, But it makes a good point. People are so much more important, aren't they? No one ever sits there on their deathbed saying, oh, man, I sure wish I had worked another six hours. But they do say, I wish I'd been closer to this person. I wish I reconnected with my kid. I wish I'd talked to my sister more. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that with people. People are important. People are the ones that are going to be spending time with you up in heaven. It is not going to be your Ferrari. It is not going to be your sweet Ray-Ban sunglasses. It's not even going to be your iPhone. I don't think God allows these in heaven. It's a bummer. I like my iPhone. But I'm pretty sure they're, they're not going to be necessary. So no matter what it is that you are saving money for, people are your priority. Your wife, your husband, your children, your spiritual children your brothers and sisters and yeah, even your parents. I I've been kind of attacking this from the angle of you have raising your own kids, but hey, you had people that raised you too. And there there is nothing wrong with you uh doing this in the reverse direction and praying for your parents and encouraging your parents and 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 modeling your Christian walk for your parents. Because not everybody's parents in here are believers. I know that. My my wife's parents are definitely not believers. makes it hard when we go up there and we're visiting over a Sunday because we pack up our kids and we go to church and they're like, why isn't grandma and grandpa going? They don't want to go. That's about all there is to it. And uh, so, you know, we, we need to model that lifestyle, model that both directions, up and down, for our parents, for our children. Because, you know, that, that commandment, children obey your parents, your children honor your parents, honor your father and mother, That. That does not stop just because you're 38, 48, 58, 68. It doesn't stop. still honor our parents. So all that to say, God first, spouse second, children third, then your job. Set your limits. Set your boundaries. Know when enough is enough. And continually turn back to your word of God for advice. Model your lifestyle based on the instructions in this book. Not everyone's going to love that. Not everyone's going to be excited. Your your kids may rebel against you because they're tired of how much you push them into church. I don't see that that often, honestly, if, if the lifestyle is modeled. I see it when parents push their kids to church and then don't model the lifestyle at home. I I see that because the kids look at that and go, it doesn't even matter to you, why should it matter to me? but model it live it live it out be that example that walking talking example for all those children and spiritual children that you come in contact with make that job that you do make it important do your best at it but let that just be a support system so that you can love god love your spouse and love your children let's pray father god we